Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, two weeks after performing in the Jimmy Awards, sort of the Junior Tony Awards in New York City, he is standing in front of Cameron Crowe and auditioning for the Broadway-bound musical Almost Famous. Well, now, the rest is history. Welcome star of Almost Famous on Broadway, Casey Likes. A-OK. everyone. My guest today is Casey Likes. Casey recently made his debut on Broadway in Almost Famous, the musical written and created by Cameron Crowe, Gene Simmons, in the biopic Spinning Gold. Also as Richie Shepard in the leading role in NGM's feature Dark Harvest. As a filmmaker, Casey has won awards for the direction of his film Seriously and had a romance, and his latest two self-produced films, Thespians and I Got You, can be seen on YouTube right now, so head on over when we're done. At the age of 17, Casey was a finalist on the Jimmy Awards, truly my favorite, favorite award show, Um, and I'm so thrilled to have Casey here on the podcast today. He plays William Miller, that's the name of his character in Almost Famous, and I got to see you in it when it was still in previews. Um, and, and I had the craziest thing happen where the usher recognized my husband from a TV show he's on and the usher grabbed him and brought him to Cameron and was like, Cameron, you have to meet Dominic. So I thought that's a rare thing when the ushers are besties with Cameron Crowe. Can you talk about what is happening at the almost famous Broadway production that ushers feel just as welcome as Casey likes? Yeah, it is. Um, it's a magical feeling inside the Jacobs. Um, it's it 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 kind of. Um, there's this line in the show um, that is said to Penny Lane, where it's like, he uh, Russell is saying to Penny, "You make a hotel into a home," and I feel like we've found a way to make um, this Broadway space, this Broadway theater into a home for a lot of people um, that, um, that, that get the message of the show. You know, um, we have had some extremely meaningful people from music and the entertainment world come that just feel like the show welcomes them. And then also uh, the people who work there at the Jacobs um, feel welcome as well. And that's, that's largely in part due to the environment that our creative team and specifically Cameron establishes. Um, Cameron really makes you feel like you are the only person in the room. And I think uh, I think the ushers are are high on that feeling right now. 
it was the best. First of all, we got to meet Cameron Crowe. So that was unexpected and amazing. And that our usher introduced us and that he was so unbelievably gracious uh, during all of it because it was previews and and you guys were still changing things around a little bit. You know, uh, Tom Kitt is the other wunderkind behind this, this masterpiece. And in kind of getting to know more about you, and there are so many things I want to ask you about growing up in Arizona and knowing that your mom had been an actress in Les Mis. There's just so much history here and love for theater, musical theater specifically. Um, but I do want to kind of bring up that you did Next to Normal with your mom. Uh, Tom Kitt was a writer on that as well. That's why I'm making that connection for the two people on the planet who don't understand that. Um, so we're going to talk about so many things, but that must have been an unbelievable experience. Yeah, uh, I'm, I, I so appreciate you bringing that up, Alana. Um, so well researched already. You just, you know so much. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, that was an unbelievable experience. I, I, I started my theater career um, on stage with my mom um, in a production of A Christmas Carol that I did um, every holiday season for five years. And uh, I was Tiny Tam and she was Mrs. Cratchit. And that was an extremely um, important part of my story. And uh, I felt as if um, wrapping up, up my, my, my time in Arizona for a little bit um, I felt as if doing another show with my mom um, was important. So I decided to co-produce a production of Next to Normal with a, uh, a, a local theater company that I've done a lot of shows at. And, um, and I cast myself because I'm that guy. <laughs> and I did it with my mom and <laughs> she truly delivered uh, the performance of, of that production. But it was just it was so surreal getting to to do material with her and kind of re-meet her on stage after, you know, living with her for 20 years. Right. And also like that, you know, that's such a uniquely beautiful show and a an uniquely yeah. unusual son and mother relationship on stage. Yeah. Um, when you go back and think about doing that first show with your mom that you did, it sounds like the annual Christmas show. Yeah. Was that at the time, the very first time you did it, did you say, mom, I want to do this with you? Or did she say, hey, do you want to do this thing with me? Like which came first, the chicken or the egg, sort of in terms of your beginning as a theater artist? That's a great question. Um, she, um, she probably knows the details better than I do, but I vaguely remember her bringing up a story of, um, cause I, I saw her in it when I was um, two or three years old. And um, cause she was in the production for, for years prior to me joining. And, um, and I watched it and I vaguely remember her telling me this story that I said, I, I wanna be Tiny Tim too which was my way of saying, I want to be Tiny Tim too, you know, as a three-year-old speaking. Um, and, um, and I think the next year, um, when I was about to turn four, um, they needed someone to replace the kid uh, who was doing this show before me, um, who was much older than me. And, uh, and yeah, I guess she asked me, 
do you want to do this? Because I know you had briefly mentioned that you wanted to do this. And, uh, and I had done a couple commercials by that point. Um, and I, I was kind of infected a little bit by the bug of, of it all. And then, yeah, I met with the director and, um, God, I don't know what I said when I was three years old that could get me the job, but I guess it was, it was exciting enough to them, the prospect of, of having a real mother and son on stage, um, that I ended up doing it and I did it for five more years. So you said at that point you'd already done commercials. So you were like a professional kid. Yeah, I was one of those kids. I, I kind of have never really not been an actor. I've kind of always, I didn't really ever have that moment, you know, right. Uh, of like, oh, this is what I want to do. Like I kind of just always was. Um, and, and that's, I, I think sometimes people take that information and, and take it as, oh, you tortured soul. I'm so sorry. Your mom must have forced you into this. And, and, and really it wasn't like that. I was really lucky. Um, it just kind of was a, um, a symbiotic relationship. And um, it was fun for you. Yeah, it was fun for me. It always has been fun for me. Um, on Were both you auditioning, sides. like when you think back to auditioning as a little kid, um, do you have early memories of what that experience was like and how you handled that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I, I have auditioned for maybe over, I mean, it has to be multiple thousands of things in my lifetime. I mean, I had an agent when I was three years old and I was auditioning for, and at the time, Arizona was a, a, a very, very popping film scene because there were still films being shot out there. And I think they're trying to pick it back up now, but there's been a dead spot um, due to, you know, the tax regulations and all that. Um, but yeah, God, there was so much happening at the time. And uh, I just remember going into these audition rooms and and sometimes I would be nervous, but I remember, you know, at that age, it's so much about um, does the kid have a personality and just wanting and can the kid behave, you know, like, so honestly, the jobs that I would miss out on were the jobs I'd go into auditioning and I just wouldn't behave in the audition. I just honestly just wanted to goof around. And uh, fortunately, my my parents never uh took that out on me. They, you know, they, they definitely tried to teach me. They're like, if you want to do this, you do have to come in and know the lines and, and behave. But, um, but other than that, no, they just, they were like, they took me to every audition and just kind of let me learn it for myself, what was working and what wasn't. What town in Arizona did you grow up in? Chandler. But okay. I did most of my theater in Scottsdale. And how, uh, how far how far are those two places from each other? They're about thirty minutes from each other. Everything in Arizona is kind of like in the valley, um, um, and uh, and then there's obviously there's Tucson and Flagstaff that are a little bit outside of it. But every right. everything that I did was within the valley. And so, growing up, were you kind of a local celebrity already? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, gosh, you. I guess that question would be better suited for 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 someone outside of myself, but it it sure didn't feel like that at the time. Um, but uh, wait, it yeah, did or it didn't? It didn't. It didn't. Oh, okay. It didn't feel like I was a celebrity at the time. Um, 
I guess. You but, weren't but getting I, recognized on the streets of Chandler from commercials or or shows in Scottsdale that you did or no, being in the annual. No, I'm asking I, this because let me tell you why I'm asking this. Yeah. I mean, now you're now it's happening in earnest, right? In a place where um you know, it, it's now New York and it's now Hollywood and people I think go, oh my God, this kid is like bursting onto the scene. He's so young. But when I hear your story, I feel like, wait a minute, you've probably been like, when is it going to happen? Like you've been yeah. doing it for a bit longer than a lot of adults who, who start sort of after college. So there's something inevitable about what you're describing to me in terms of why all this stuff is hitting now, um, oh. as you are an independent young person, a young adult in the world. But I guess I just was wondering if part of why you could handle it is all of the noise that kind of happens around the work. Like there's the work and then there's just the noise that comes at you that has nothing to do with the work that comes yeah. from, oh my God, I saw you in this thing or treating you specially or whatever that is, the, the fun of it and the the not so fun parts of it. And so I guess I'm just trying to get a picture of in your small, you know, world and your small town and then graduating to Scottsdale, which is a little bigger, if there was this sense of like, oh yeah, Casey likes, like he's our local celebrity. I love that. I love that you differentiated the um the buzz from the work because that's that's something we talk about in the show as well. Um yeah, I mean I guess I guess when I say that I didn't have that moment of like, oh, I want to be an actor, um, there, however, because I've always been an actor, however, there was a moment, there were a, a few moments when I, when I think we all realized that, oh, we might have something here. Like, you know, and I think I, I think I definitely had a, a couple of those, but they were much later into my career than I think you might expect them to be. And I think that's because I started so young, you know, like that's like realizing that, like, I mean, I had that moment when I was 17, long story short, uh, when I realized that like, maybe I could possibly do this. And but you guys weren't going out for pilot season to LA while you were growing up or, or were you? No, I, I I never was going out for pilot season. Um, I never really went into the national scene of it all until um, until I was seventeen. Um, I I kind of kept it pretty local, and uh, there were some bigger things like I, I I went out for Kids Bop, and I you know got a few callbacks for that. But that was that was even through my local agent. Like that right. was these are. It never became that big until honestly pretty recently. And that was largely in part due to my family wanting me to have a a, a normal childhood. And um, I remember when the Les Mis movie auditions came around, I had just played Gavroche at a local theater at the time. And I remember um, everyone telling my mom, oh, you got to get this kid to go out for the movie and, and all this stuff. And she was like, oh, God, it, I, I just... I want him to have have a normal childhood, and um, and not that the kid who got it didn't have a normal childhood, but uh, but I'm. But we I'm don't very, know. Yeah, I'm exactly. <laughs> we we wouldn't know. We'd have to ask him. But exactly, you know, I'm very happy about the the path that I've taken to this. And were you patient with her? With did you grow up with both your parents in your home? 
No, I, I just grew up with my, my mom and then I met my dad a little bit later and, uh, and both of them kind of come from a performing background. Um, so I, I think I've definitely pulled from both of them, even though I didn't necessarily spend too much time with my dad early on in my life. And is that something you're comfortable talking about, sort of yeah. your being? So how old were you when you, did you know who your dad was before you met him? Uh, a very, very briefly before, um, um, because I'd, I'd grown up with um, another figure in my house um, who my mom um, was with. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to talk about because like, I think what's so amazing is coming from a place that, you know, coming from Arizona, like I, I meet people out here sometimes that aren't from New York or aren't from California or kind of come from, you know, not the highest income places in the world. Um, and, and I, I think it's really important to bring those real stories into the industry because it's like, um, I don't know. I just think it's very important, but I'm glad you asked. Yeah. So I met my, I met my dad later on and I remember my mom saying, uh, you know, um, you know that, uh, your dad is, is out there somewhere in the world. And I was, I was, I don't know, six or seven at the time. And, uh, and he actually lives in New York. And I remember at the time thinking, oh my gosh, New York. Like it just like was a foreign concept to me. And uh, and I remember a few months later at a at a Bakugan tournament. I don't know if you know what Bakugan is, but it's it's. I do. I, oh, do. Like, I have I have a sixteen year old son. I am familiar. Very yes. very very important to me. Um, yes. at the time. That's good to know. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and and I I was huge into Bakugan, and I remember I was just going to a tournament, and he happened to be one of the Bakugan masters. Wait. at the tournament and my mom what? knew this but didn't tell me this until the morning of she was like oh by the way this tournament that you're going to is um is hosted by your father and you're gonna meet him today it, i'm i can't believe we're talking about this oh isn't this god. i have never shared this story before and i'm so glad that it exists oh my god because first of all that like bakugan is something that can be like genetically passed down it's like yes, crazy, right? Like it's like it's like okay, and he is the pitcher for the you know for the yes. whatever the, the yes. Yankees, the and you're good at baseball too. Yeah, I wonder if the creator of um of Bakugan ever knew yeah. that they would they would be bringing families together. Exactly, <laughs> and also I'm so glad we're talking about it because when we see the movie with this story in it, I'll be like, oh, no, 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 it's true. Yeah. This it's, is not like something that he made up. It's absolutely happened. true. This is your Cameron Crowe. This is your version <laughs> of Almost Famous. So, <laughs> so it's the day of your your seven. Yeah, I, I, either six or seven or eight. And you're about to go to this tournament, and you're like, "Hey, by the way," and is the tournament in your hometown, or or do you are you now traveling with this yeah, thing? It's in it's in Tempe. Um, okay. Uh, I know that. I know where that is. Okay. So she's obviously known, she's kept track of where your dad is because she knows of all places he's at the Bakugan. And I'm only laughing because the random, first of all, Bakugan is a funny word. Yeah. And the randomness of it, like you, in the world of you cannot make this shit up, you cannot yeah, make amazing. this shit up. 
Okay. So now you're like, okay, but listen, I need to win. I got to (laughs) concentrate. Yes. So, so keep going, keep going. It's crazy. I mean, like there's some pictures that exist somewhere of us meeting and, uh, and yeah, I'm like sitting there and I look back on it and I'm like, wow, what an insane way that they made that happen. Like, I mean, already like it came at a point in my life when like it definitely would have been the time to like to, you know, meet the father and all that stuff. And and the fact that it all worked out to where I could meet him in such a a comfortable and amazing space. And also the fact that he was performing like when I met him, I'm like it already like I think I think that just speaks to my family and and speaks to how how special it is to have a family that is supportive of of you and 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 thinking of your best interest. I know how privileged I am to say that, but truly like with my career and just personal moments like that in my life, they've truly done whatever they can with sometimes little resources um, right. to to set up every moment in my life to to be the 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 best it possibly can be i i there's so much i want to ask you about but before we leave this kind of unbelievable moment because it really is so extraordinary the kind of symmetry of it all were you not a kid who was constantly asking about him? Was there something inside you that's sort of like this, this young Buddhist going like, it will come to me when it's meant to come to me? Did you think this other person was your dad? I'm just curious up until that point, what you thought the story was. I love, I love that, um, that Buddhist comment you made. Um, I think, I think my entire life I've kind of been that way. And I think um, that's largely in part to um, just the, the morals that my my parents raised me with. But um, yeah, I, I think I definitely, I, I, I think for a while I was very accepting of the father figure I did have in my life. And then when he was gone, I still had my grandpa. And then even if I didn't have my grandpa, I still had a family. You know, like I didn't really ever know any different. So, and it's it's interesting watching my sister grow up as well because um, we're both kind of very accepting of our our scenarios. We both kind of um, just really love what we have, you know. And if there's a bonus to it, great. Like we have different dads, and 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 you know, she has her own um relationship which is is her story to tell but i think we're both you know we're thankful with what we have i have a 101 uh, almost 101 um year old great grandma who just flew out to see me opening night of almost famous and i have a grandma and a grandpa and a mom and um a, a beautiful sister and um and that's really like that's what i've always had and like that's kind of all I need. And, you know, I think I felt that from a very young age and, uh, and getting, getting my dad, um, in my life was, was a bonus and, um, it's been a, a bonus ever since. Okay. Well, is Bakugan still something that ever, 
you do it in your dressing room? Like, where <laughs> are you in Bakugan at this point? You know, I have quite possibly the largest collection of Bakugan on the face of the planet, and I have not touched it in in many, many years. Um, but uh, who knows? Someday it could come back out. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you if you want to talk about like the rarest of the rare, the most signed merchandise in the world, uh, that's that's the privilege that you get of meeting your father when you're six years old. Bakugan master. master of yes. yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, the Jimmy Awards for for the few people listening um, who don't know what the Jimmy Awards are, can you briefly describe your understanding of what that week-long event is um and then we're going to talk about how you were shot out of a cannon after becoming a finalist in this incredible night and who was the host the the year you were you were performing your friend your friend ben platt was yes the host. Um, and i was there casey like so that's, <laughs> that was my First Jimmy Awards, actually, and, and it became a, an obsession afterwards. So, yes. Yeah, so talk about. So I got to see you. I was in the room when it happened, when people were going insane and watching you perform. Um, but talk about your experience of it and what the Jimmy Awards are. Yeah. So the Jimmy Awards are, are hosted by the Broadway League, who also hosts the Tony Awards. And, um, and, and they kind of internally call it like the junior Tonys because um, it's a bunch of high schoolers. It's um, in concept, it is two high schoolers from every state, um, give or take, um, a, a best lead female and a best lead male um, that come from every state and they all compete to be the best actor or the best actress um, at the national level at the national level called the Jimmy Awards. Um, and I won my regional program called the ASU Gamage High School Musical Theater Awards. And I, um, I remember right before my name was called, they showed a video of my friend, Sam Premack, who um, also won um, the same award and went to the Jimmy Awards uh, a couple of years prior. And then they showed a video of the Jimmy Awards week. Um, and just a compilation of different things you would get to do. And I remember watching that video and just thinking, I want this so bad and not even knowing what, what this was. Like, you know, the Jimmy Awards was the thing to, to, to focus on in that moment, but just right. the concept of like watching these kids in New York meet these heroes of mine and get to be on a Broadway stage I just was like, I will do whatever I can to do that. And I truly didn't even feel like I was worthy of it in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and we all looked up, we, they asked, asked us to turn around because we were in the front row of this huge uh, Gamage auditorium, which was like 3000 seats or something. And we turn around and we are all supposed to look at our, our classes who are in the mezzanine and balconies cheering for us. And I, I remember just like almost crying, just thinking about my family and my and my 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 people out there uh, cheering for this moment that could kind of be the beginning of the rest of my life. And um, and then uh, they called my name, and 
within two weeks, I was in uh, New York doing the week of the Jimmies, which was basically sun up to sundown, work, 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 like we're going to rehearse and put on a show by the end of this week. And in the middle of that, you're going to learn from a lot of really, really big experts on this stuff. And you're going to meet a lot of really, really famous people. And, uh, and then you'll process it all in 20 years. And <laughs> exactly. And then that is, that is truly the best way I can descri describe the Jimmies. Had you come to New York in your, in your lifetime to see Broadway shows? I did a, a one school trip um, about two months prior to doing the Jimmy Awards. It was my first trip to New York. And uh, we saw three Broadway shows. We, uh, we saw um, Wicked. Um, Beautiful was actually our first show. Then we saw Wicked. Then we saw Be More Chill. And, um, and what an incredible trip it was. And uh, I was there with all of my best friends. And um, one of those friends um, was at my opening night the other night. Um, that's just a small um, shout out to, to yeah. Michael Lawrence. Um, but yeah, uh, that was an incredible trip. And, and to be there two months later on a Broadway stage um, was surreal. So you were a finalist. You didn't win the actual Jimmy Award, uh, but you have won a career. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so let's take that. Let's take that. So yeah. you do this thing. Clearly you are, uh, you sing Santa Fe. Everybody goes insane. Um, I don't know if if during the course of the week you imagine that you might win because it really was, you really were one of the shining bright stars. There's so many kids. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching going, how does anyone like find, I mean, everyone's amazing. How do you possibly decide who, I was so glad not to be a judge, I guess is the point. Um, were you bummed out? Mm, no, I wasn't at all, actually. I mean- okay. Yeah, I think I, I, Timothy Chalamet has this really interesting interview. I wish I could find it again, but I, re I remember he was asked after he was nominated for Call Me By Your Name and someone was like, were you sad that you didn't win? And he was like, no, not really. And then he's like, I think there's also this, mo I, I think everyone has that moment where you're like, oh, I guess I could have won that. Like, Guess yeah, I mean, like I guess it's possible, but I think we all had that. I think what yeah. the kind of like the 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 sad part of the Jimmies is that it's like such a celebration night for everyone, but literally all but two people lose. Like it's yeah. like there's yeah. almost a hundred kids there. I know it's crazy. Ninety-eight of them lose. Right. So it's like you know, you you when you put it into perspective, you you just it, it all becomes way more acceptable in your head. And honestly, like, I, I really honestly believe it all worked out the way it should have. Um, Ethan deserved to win a million times over. He was fantastic. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I just also had this moment when backstage um, that I've never really talked about, but I, I kind of like processed everything I, I had just done after after I sang my Santa Fe solo. And I remember thinking, whatever happens next, I just hope that I'll be okay. 
like that was all that was all I thought about. It was just like, I just hope that I'll be okay. And I remember having this feeling from something, something like whatever you believe in, that you're gonna be okay. And then like a week later, not even a week later, I mean, it was actually like the next day, like the, the messages and the emails and the phone calls came in that were definitely letting me know that I was gonna be okay. And uh, yeah. Can you talk about how that sort of is a direct line to meeting Cameron Crowe and me seeing you on Broadway the other night and soon into huge movies and on and on and on? Like, how does that happen? And and tell me your earliest memories of meeting Cameron. Yeah. And the outsiders happened also, and and we can do another podcast on the outsiders yeah, right? Pony Boy, because he also did that workshop, which is amazing. Um, but this happened first and Almost Famous came to Broadway first. So that's how we get to meet you. Yeah, I mean, um, watching, if you go back and watch that that Santa Fe um, video, um, if you can just imagine looking at that 17 year old kid and then two weeks later, almost to the day from when that video is taken, I'm, I'm standing in front of Cameron Crowe. That's how fast the timeline is. And um, I go home um, almost immediately. There's, um, I have several different um, things in my inbox that I'm auditioning for in LA the next week. Um, one of those is uh, The Outsiders. One of those is um, Almost Famous. And there's a few of those other ones. And um, so I'm, I'm in LA. Um, two weeks after I, I do the Jimmy Awards, which was just surreal to, to my head because only a few months prior did I have that moment I was talking about earlier where I was like, oh, I think maybe I could do this. <laughs> like, um, So I'm, I'm in LA and, and I, I'm auditioning for Jim Carnahan, our casting director for Almost Famous. And, uh, and immediately after I, I finish my last side, he says, okay, so we're, we're gonna see you here tomorrow. Um, you're gonna meet Cameron. And, um, and I'm thinking, I didn't even know Cameron was here. Uh, so I come back the next day and uh, I do all the same material for Cameron. And, um, and man, we just got on, on a good vibe, really, really off the bat. And, uh, and looking back on it, he's just such a nice guy that I don't even know if the vibe was really there until after he could tell that I could do the material. He right. might have given everyone that vibe. Uh, right. but, uh, but man, after we finished the material, uh, he, he said, don't you just love that No Friends song? And I'm like, yes. Because I think he could tell that I really loved that song. Because I, 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 I just really, really dug into um, singing that one, and and we were like, we started singing it back to each other, and we were like, oh man, and this part, and the part when it's like ah, like it's just so great, and we're literally going back and forth like this, uh, this with each other, and then Jim Carnahan starts shooing me out of the room, literally physically walking towards me. And Cameron and I are still talking as Jim Carnahan goes, boom, smacks the door closed. And, and that is nothing on Jim Carnahan. Jim Carnahan just runs a great ship and, uh, and he had a, a million other appointments to do, but it was just 
that was a moment where I was like, you know what, if I never see Cameron again, uh, I think, I think we, we, we had a good meeting and that was, that was all that mattered to me. And then, um, within a, uh, a, I think the, the same day or the next day they were like, okay, we need you in New York next week. And, uh, and in the same day, I also received uh, invites to New York by the other shows. Um, so timing wise, it just worked out perfectly. Um, I guess a whole bunch of people needed a little dude <laughs> that could sing some high notes and, and yeah. cry a little bit yeah. <laughs> all at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I was in New York the next week and I met Tom Kit and Jeremy Heron, our uh, uh, composer and director, and I did the material for them. And then the same day um, from my final callback, I went to the Hotel Edison Diner and I ate matzo ball soup with my mother where she had eaten matzo ball soup prior to every performance of Les Miserables. And, uh, and they gave me the call that I would be doing the show in San Diego and on Broadway. And is your mom just like, I mean, can you describe her face when you get the call or what she said to you at the time? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I, I remember that moment so fondly, just like she knew instantly, like the phone rang and it was an unknown number. So we knew it had to be one of whatever the things that I was doing. And I, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I really, really, I wanted, I wanted all of them. And, and Almost Famous was, was one I really, really wanted, especially because I, I just became so emotionally connected with the creatives because I had spent so much time with them by that point. And, uh, and they called and um, I just looked at my mom and I was like, I just like nodded to her. Um, and I, I kind of, my, my eyes started welling up with tears and she was like, oh my God, did you get in and, you know, try not to interrupt the phone call, but I just like nodded and, and we both just started crying. And I think she took a picture of me and, uh, and then we just spent the rest of our dinner, just kind of like blown away that this was happening, uh, especially in that diner. Oh yeah. I mean, if you call half hour at the Edison, people go running, <laughs> they go running yeah. from their seats. Like what? what? Yes. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's the place. Um, you also somehow have filmed two huge movies. So this is a few years ago, the, the old globe production of almost famous, which in listening to Cameron Crowe interviews, what that theater meant to him is what the Edison means to you and your mom, right? Like just sort of all of these touchstones of childhood or the past coming together in a remarkable way. Um, I know his mom died, I think on the night of your first preview there uh, or, or really early on, just all of these kind of incredible personal things that are happening to people. Um, and it's such a huge success there. And then of course, COVID happened. So things are, are sort of put on hold. When did you film Spinning Gold and Dark Harvest? And when does that all happen? And I can't imagine you looking at you right now as Gene Simmons in Kiss, but I'm dying to see a photograph or something. And I wish you could come back with your makeup on so we yeah, can right. do the rest of this interview with Gene. Um, 
how did that stuff happen? Yeah. And when, when did you shoot um, Spinning Gold? Yeah, I mean, there was a moment of recalculation for all of us in the pandemic, right? You know, right. just trying to figure out like, what's the next move? And um, and I I mean, I I technically, I guess, started my career in, in television and film um, with the commercials. So uh, it's always been a love of mine and I've, I, I kind of done them simultaneously, but I guess the larger career moments for me have always been um, in musical theater. Um, but my love truly spans between all of them equally. Um, and, uh, and I was, I was auditioning for some film and TV, um, as soon as the pandemic began, because they were still kind of doing pilot season at the time. Um, but I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get it. I just didn't know this skill of self taping. I didn't quite figure out how to do it. And I, and I had a moment where I kind of, because I had so much time with myself, I had a moment where I kind of looked at myself in the mirror and I said, well, you're at a fork in a road now. You can either give up and say, you're, this is your, your bread and butter is musical theater and, and, and stick with that. Or you can look at yourself in the mirror and you can say, I don't think the work I'm doing is, is good enough. Like, I, I think I just need to be better. And um, so I did that. It was a few. It was a few months of of really intense self criticism um, that I fortunately had the time for because of the pandemic. Um, I don't recommend that to people who are doing a job all day. You know, like if you have a job all day, you need to be on your best spirits. But like, you know, if you do have the time to really kind of be critical of yourself and and to kind of improve your work, um, it, it it genuinely was necessary to to the beginning of my larger film and tv career because uh once i did that i booked a show called the birch and that immediately led into another tv show um pilot um with the director sam esmail who did mr robot and uh, we did this show called acts of crime and uh in the middle of acts of crime i met with um a manager who uh a few different managers but i ended up going with this one manager who really, really, really bonded with me um, super well. And I loved his style. And, uh, and I signed him about a week before we wrapped on Acts of Crime. And um, right as we wrapped, literally in the van from wrapping Acts of Crime, um, this new manager calls me and he says, so, uh, there's this little indie movie, man. They want you to, they, they lost a guy, long story short. Um, and uh, and they, I think they want you to come in and, and meet the director. Um, so you'll notice that there's a, a theme in my career of them always losing a guy and, uh, and they need me to come in and, and read for it. So uh, I came in and I said, okay, so what's the role? And he goes, uh, it's Gene Simmons. Of course it is. Of course it is. And I'm like, oh no, this guy got me wrong. Like I was like, this guy might not- This is a dumb question, but I'm only asking you because of the age you are and the generation you are. Did you know who Gene Simmons was? Did you listen to Kiss? Yes, Because maybe your mother or dad did, but I'm just curious. Okay, so you knew, because it wouldn't be crazy if you didn't. No, no, it wouldn't be at all. I mean, I didn't know Almost Famous, which made me mad because like, First of all, that isn't an extremely old movie. Like it's actually like 
kind of in my time frame. So yeah. I I'm confused why I didn't know that one. Um, but yeah, like uh, I knew I knew who Gene Simmons was, and I was like, well, I'm not going to get that role, but I definitely want to go in for it. Um, I could, I did play him for Halloween one year. Yeah, right. So. Yeah. yeah, I was, <laughs> I was makeup. two years old and uh, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, but I went in and, um, and he was like, yeah, the meeting is in, is in two days. Um, so I, I flew back to um, Arizona from Canada the next day. And, um, and I had this Zoom meeting with this guy and we kind of briefly, I had the whole script. There were no sides prepared. It was just like, here's the script and then let's read over some of his scenes if you want to and we did and it ended up being about an hour long meeting and we read over the sides and then i, I he said to me at the very end he was like well before i take my other meetings um and try to find you know who the guy is for this role do you have like anything else you want to say to me about why the role is yours and um and I kind of just went off for about like five, 10 minutes about like why the role is mine. And honestly, like most of it was not true. Like I, I didn't know how to play bass. I didn't know if I could do the tongue thing. I didn't know um, if, I, if I could do it, but like, honestly, I just was like, you know, I gotta put a bet on myself and, um, and kind of say what I think Gene would say, which would be, you know, putting that bet on yourself and 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 some form of of some extreme confidence. Um, and he was like, I think you're right. I think the role's yours. And in the same meeting. So that happened. You're like, wait, wait, let me finish. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, say? Can, can can I just say that I might need some base lessons? Yes, yeah, like like um, maybe one lesson, just to brush up yeah, and exactly. and some maybe tongue work. But other than that, yes, I stand by everything I said. You know, I think about like the character in Almost Famous and something that's so remarkable about it. A, just the idea of like how young he was and he's on a tour bus writing for Rolling Stone magazine and Cream and all of these, you know, publications it's revealed at some point that he is only the age he is, but way into the experience. And so, you know, as Cameron Crowe has so beautifully shared that story um, in, a, in a slightly fictionalized version, both in the, in the movie and now on Broadway. But I think so much about like, obviously since the Jimmy Awards and now you're not 17 anymore. You're, you're are you 20 now or 21? Um, but you are still, for the most part, you know, when I saw the show, a much younger person in the company of, of, of a, a very established group of Broadway performers. Um, and it was sort of remarkable to me to see the life imitating art of all of it, that you are now, like in this show, um, kind of the, the number one on the call sheet, as it were. Yeah. Um, and, and William Miller, this really sweet character and his relationship with his like it's so meta it's yeah. so life imitating art I mean when you describe your relationship with your mother who's like I want you to stay a kid and yeah. sort of held off as long as possible before the inevitable was meant to happen and sort of Cameron's mother in the story of almost famous like all of it is just so beautifully like the kismet of it yeah. And in some ways, the ways in which you are like William, sort of holding your own in this very adult world um, of Broadway and performing. And so 
Thank you very much for that. I know you have so much going on. And, and as we kind of wrap up, I just wanted to know a little bit about how has it been for you to be at the center of this huge Broadway show with so much expectation and so much star power and glamour um, and carry that? And how, how has that been for you? Such a great question, Alana. Thank you. Um, and thank you for all that. That's just, it's so, it's so great to be seen. I kind of, I made this Instagram post on about my opening night. And um, I, I think about how, how many people feel seen by this show and, and specifically this character, um, you know, just representing the people who kind of have out of the ordinary lives and, and personalities. And, um, and I, I definitely would, I would consider my life a little bit like that. I, I think everyone can consider them, their lives a little bit like that um, to, a, to an extent. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was insane. It was, it was crazier when I was 17. Um, cause I, I just, I just remember like when you're that young and you have no idea what you're doing and, and getting all of this advice from a million different areas, which is, is part of the reason why I wanted this show so bad, because, um, I, I hadn't had an experience working with much older, more experienced people since I did Christmas Carol way back in the day when I was, you know, three years old. So getting to have that experience again, working with these, these rock stars, truly my, my rock stars, um, was the reason I wanted it so bad. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there have been those moments where you're like, man, can I do this? Like, am I going to be able to rise to the, uh, expectation, but you once again have to put that bet on yourself and you know the, those moments in the pandemic of recalculation and and you're thinking gosh should i mean should i move on like should i is is this even right like am i even gonna look like i'm the right age by the time this is all over like are they still gonna want me you know like those are all moments where like you can easily jump ship and um and then there's the conversations about, oh, there's there's more money in in this, and or or this is a bigger thing, or whatever, whatever. And and you sit there, and you really just have to come back to this feeling of like, bet on yourself and bet on what you feel and your morals, um, and what you love. What I knew from the second I joined this show, to a few nights ago when we opened the show is that this was the moment that I had been waiting for. Like you said, the meta-ness of all of this is so special to me because I get to represent myself a little bit my first go around, you know? Like whatever comes next, like we'll see. But it's like to be able to not only like introduce William Miller and Cameron Crowe and this show to Broadway, but in the same breath, introduce Casey Likes and who I am and what I care about. My mom, my family, my people from Arizona, you know, who I am and, and this, this newness, this energy of newness, um, getting to represent that is, is the reason I held on to this so tight. And it's 
something I'll hold on to forever. You know, I'm sure you have had, it, it has been broadcast that you and Cameron Crowe not just sang together at that audition, but like really have a really uniquely beautiful friendship for, for the age difference between you guys, but sort of an artistic cohesion that seems, and, and a spirit that a real kindred spirit is my understanding of it. The usher told me that there's a real kindred spirit between you guys. Oh, um, is there something, uh, that he has said to you, you know, there, this show will end one day, you will do other things, you will, you will go on to explore lots of different characters and, and every conversation that's so front and center for you right now with Cameron, over time may like drift from your consciousness a little bit. What do you think will be the thing maybe that he said to you that you're like, no matter what, I will always remember when Cameron said this to me. I think anyone who's had a moment with Cameron um, can probably tell you that every single moment you have with Cameron is is one of those moments that is kind of unforgettable. Um, just going through our text messages um, sometimes makes me pinch myself. Um, that's surreal. But I think, um, oh man, this is gonna get me. Um, I think the moment that uh, probably sticks out in my mind is um, when you work with people, you don't often say, I love you. And um, I remember a moment in San Diego, um, the day after uh, his mom passed and um, we had our final dress rehearsal and i remember we had a moment and um with respect to him i won't share the entire moment because it was so private between us but i remember that was the first time uh we said i love you to each other and um i thought that was just so special and and we still say it you know and um I get to play him and like having that mutual love and having that love amongst the company um, and, and the people who are in the room. Um, you, you hear it at the stage door. The show is, is, is love and um, getting to work with people that you say I love you to is, um, is kind of an experience I don't expect to have very often in my life. and. Um, and I'm really, I really think that's the moment that I pinpoint with, with Cameron um, that kind of I'll always remember. That's really beautiful. Casey, one last question for you. Is there a little known fact that you can share about Casey Likes? You haven't had enough? <laughs> there's, there's Never. You. Have... I'm the greediest, greediest. <laughs> oh, you think it's Bakugan? Unknown, oh, friend. <laughs> oh, you think of, it's this story about your your family history and your father that you've never shared ever before. I mean, seriously, the, this is this is the most in depth um, stuff. But yeah, no, I, I think maybe a little known fact would be um, in the spirit of almost famous. I have been a part of like possibly six rock bands in my life, and. <laughs> Not a single one survived, clearly. Um, but uh, I, I did this 
camp in 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 the spirit of of my family always yeah setting me up for um success uh they would always sign me up for for these camps to do during the summer so i just didn't become bored or lonely um and uh and and one of those camps would consistently be a, a rock band camp um uh hosted by um my drum teacher bobby domings and uh my guitar teacher kurt reed and uh they would set up these bands of their students and we would we would have a name and everything and one was down low psychos like they're the craziest names and they make no sense and um we would all have these like dreams of grandeur that we would keep going beyond this and then it would just never happen <laughs> which but i think it, there's something so great about that and it's it that's so meta as well because that's exactly what happens in in almost famous spoiler alert but all right right I do have one more question. Do you like, did you like, and do you like your last name? I love it. I love it. I think it's great. Um, I, Don't uh, you feel like you were just born? I mean, it's just the most positive. I mean, I just think about all these wonderful things and sort of like it, it's destiny, right? Like it's such a positive, it's not Casey hates. No, right. It's like, goodness. Yeah. Can you imagine if your last name was hates. No, oh, what horrible energy to spew into the world. I have a friend who actually broke up with someone because their last name translated from Greek was like, he who will be miserable his entire life. And he was like, she was like, I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't do that to, to no. my, to my future children. Um, Casey likes, I think just to, to piggyback on what you said, I think it may be rare, but any show you are a part of or project that you choose to be, I think people will say, I love you to each other because it's what you bring to the work and to the occasion. Um, I'm tempted to say it to you right now and I've known you for one hour. So thank you, Alana. Casey I, likes. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me on. Thank you, I have a great show, shows, and I can't wait to see it again and congrats on all of it. Thanks so much. Thanks for the great questions and, and the energy that you bring. Um, every every bit of your work that I've listened to, just everyone loves you. And and we're thankful to have people who care about telling our story. So, so thank you so much for that. No, oh, you're such a sweetheart. One more thing. I keep getting emails asking how to donate to the podcast. First of all, thank you in advance. You are the kindest humans. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. That is where you donate. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. 
Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.